Well, I just want to add my welcome to the ones that you have already received so far in this service. Thank you so much for joining us at the New Dimensions online worship experience. If it's your first time, I want you to put that in the comments so that our team can reach out to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And once again, we are here in our living room setup. It's a little bit different setup. So we're really excited to get into the word today uh, so that it can challenge us, so they can change us. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Numbers chapter 14. And while you're turning, I just want to pray for us. Pray for me. Pray for the reception of the word. Father God, we acknowledge your presence in this place. There is no distance in your spirit. And God, we come before you asking that you would speak to us, that we would hear, that we would be attentive, not just hearers, but also doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Now, like most of you, I have shifted and adjusted my schedule when it comes to Corona. I know most of you are feeling that, you have to do different things, but there has been one positive thing in the midst of all the inconvenience. And that one positive thing is that every weekend, I have been able to sit down and watch the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. Now, I know I'm not the only person who's been watching this documentary. So if that's you, I want you to put a hand up in the comments and say that's me, because I don't wanna be alone. I don't wanna feel like I'm the only one who misses sports. But the documentary, The Last Dance, it's a 10-part series that chronicles the last uh, championship run of the great Michael Jordan, obviously by many people's consensus, the greatest basketball player of all time. And Michael Jordan had this final run, his final run with the Chicago Bulls. He won six titles with them, and then in 97 to 98, he went on his final run. And so it talks about all the different players, from Dennis Rodman to Scottie Pippen, Tony Kukoc, the coach Phil Jackson, the management, it really gets deep into those things. And I, I appreciate it, I enjoy it. As a matter of fact, I even remember where I was when I was watching game six of that last climactic finals that Michael Jordan won. I remember my mom's reaction when he hit that shot. I remember what my dad did after the buzzer went off. He put his fist up. He was really happy that Jordan won. And so all these things are memories for me. But you know how most people, most people who are uh, tangentially involved in sports, casually, they think that's the end. But those of us who are true Michael Jordan fans, we know that that wasn't really his last dance. We know that after he retired in 1999, two years later, he started to get that itch. He started to feel that he could come back and compete with some of the young guns. And so he started holding workouts in the summer of 2001, players only scrimmages. He started to see if he could step back onto the court and make yet another comeback. And he decided to do so in September of 2001, after that fateful Twin Towers attacks. He decided to come back, donate all of his salary to the victims of the bombing, and he decided to step back on the court. And many of us know that as he played for the Washington Wizards over the next two years, it was great for us to see him again. It was great for us to see an over 40-year-old man score 40 points with the young guys. It's great to see him dunk. Great to see him compete in the All-Star game. Great to see him have some classic highlight real plays. But the reality of the matter is, it was ultimately dissatisfying. The Washington Wizards never won anything major. They never even made it to the playoffs. He was never really competitive with the other players while he put up good stats because he's always going to be able to do that. He's the GOAT. He didn't have a good rapport with his teammates. It was ultimately dissatisfying. I remember watching uh, Ray Lewis, the NFL Hall of Fame linebacker, and he quoted Michael Jordan and he said that MJ told him, the only thing I regret is putting on another uniform. The only thing I regret is going back to play. 
Now, as you know, we've been in this series called Back to the Future, and we've been basically saying that we need to go back and get it. The principle of Sankofa is it is not wrong to go back for that which you have forgotten. And so we've decided that we need to go back and reclaim some things. And we talked about go back home in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son. We talked about go back to your family, talking about Jacob in Genesis chapter 33. But today I want to put a little twist on that. I want to kind of pull the rug out from under you a little bit. And I actually want to entitle this message, Don't Go Back There. Don't go back there. Can you type that in the comments for me? Don't go back there. You know, here's the reality. It's an uncomfortable, painful truth. I'm sorry that I have to break this to you. But there are some things in your past that need to stay there. Can I say that again? There are some things in your past that you don't need to go back and get. They need to stay there. There are some things in our relationships that need to stay in the past. There are some mindsets that need to reside in the past. There are some things that we used to do that we can't go back and get. There are some things that need to stay in the past. Can I give you another principle that you can write down so that you can marinate on this? It's tough, but it's true. It's tight, but it's right. Older does not always equal better. Did you hear me? Older does not always equal better. And for many of us, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a mindset, whether it's a way of doing ministry, whether it's language that used to work in the past, many of us are leaning upon our old successes. Many of us are leaning upon times that we thought things were so much better than they are now. Many of us have leaned upon the past and actually we become obsessed with the past. Not for reference, we want to reside in the past. Did you hear that? We don't want to reference the past, we want to reside in the past. What I believe God is telling us today is that it's time to close the book on some things. It's time for us not to go back to the things where we used to be, but to reference what we can so that we can push forward into the future. You know, there's this uh, counselor, his name is Dr. Henry Cloud, and he has this book. It's a book entitled Necessary Endings. Necessary Endings. And the subtitle of the book, I absolutely love. It's basically saying there are some things that you have to give up in order to move forward. There are some things you have to give up in order to move forward. And I'm challenging you today to give up the things of your past that have held you bound, that have held you captive, that have kept you from walking in God's full purpose and stand up and move forward into the future with confidence. I'm here to call out the king and the queen in you, to call the anointing that God has placed latent on the inside of you to rise up and stand up and move forward. There are some things you have to give up in order to move Forward. Take a look at Numbers chapter 14. We see a vivid example of this. We see that the children of Israel have been traveling with God after they were liberated from Egypt and slavery. They spent a year on Mount Sinai. When they spent a year on Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with them. And then he said that it's time to go into the promised land. Exciting, right? But before they could get to the promised land, they had to go through the wilderness. And isn't it interesting? The children of Israel started acting crazy in the wilderness. They started acting up when things didn't go the way that they thought they should. Now, that's for free. That's not even in my notes. But I just want to let you know, be careful of acting a certain way when you're in the wilderness on the way to your promised land. Here's what's interesting. The children of Israel, they get really upset. And then here's what Moses is told by God. God says, send 12 spies into the land of Canaan to build their confidence to let them know this is amazing. Look at where you're going to be able to go. Look at where God is going to take you. Twelve spies come back and ten of them give a daring, dangerous report. 
They say that there are so many people, there's no way we can possibly overcome them. Just two, just two young ones, Joshua and Caleb, very famous biblical characters. They stand up and say, no, we're well, we're well able to take this. We're well able to overcome. And here we find in Numbers chapter 14, starting at verse 1, the people start to revolt. Listen to what they say. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, it says, That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, their leaders. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then verse four, and they said to each other, we should choose a leader. We should choose a new captain and go back to Egypt. Once again, I want to tell you the title of this message is don't go back there. Our purpose in God always requires the death of the old and the birth of the new. Our purpose in God always requires the death of the old and the birth of the new. So the question is this, how do I know? How do I know if I'm addicted and obsessed to the past? How do I know I'm consumed with thinking about the past and thinking about all the things that came before and I'm afraid to move into my future? We're going to play a little game today. That game is would you rather? And I'm going to give you four would you rather statements. And if these are true in your life, then you know you are obsessed with the past. Four would you rather statements. Take a look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 2 to find the first one. Here they say, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. The first statement is this. You know you're obsessed with the past when you would rather die backwards than live forward. You know you're obsessed with the past when you would rather die backwards than live forwards. After all they had seen in slavery in Egypt, they were bound up. Pharaoh had ordered genocide over all the young men who were two years and, and younger. He had required that they would be thrown into the sea so that they would keep population control and genocide and abortion. They decided that they were going to whip the children of Israel. They decided that they were going to exercise control over them. They decided that they were going to tax them harshly. They decided that they were going to chase them down and try to kill them when they decided to escape. They decided all these things, went through all these things, and yet still in that moment, later on, when they're walking towards the promised land, they said, we would rather die backwards than live forwards. What makes us want to live backwards? Think about that. What makes us want to live in the past? What makes us want to live in situations that are destructive and dysfunctional? What makes us want to hang on to relationships that we know have no chance? What makes us want to stick in the past with things that are no longer working and we're unable to face ourselves and we're unable to be honest about what God is doing, the new thing that God is doing? I want to challenge you to think about this concept, that what causes us to live backwards is a mixture of nostalgia and discontentment. It's a mixture of nostalgia and discontentment. Nostalgia, of course, as you know, is this sense of homesickness. It's this sense of going back and seeing the things that we have grown up around. I sense nostalgia whenever I watch The Last Dance. I sense nostalgia whenever I watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I sense nostalgia whenever I pass by our old childhood home. I sense nostalgia when I go to the places, when I take my kids, pre-corona of course, to Chuck E. Cheese. I sense nostalgia. It's a sense of homelessness, homesickness, right? 
But then nostalgia mixed with discontentment can lead us to thinking backwards. Discontentment is this dissatisfaction, this idea that things are not as they should be, not for evolution, not for growth, not for growing in God, but rather discontentment, saying I'm upset with how things are. And discontentment says, I will only be content when I have what I want. Did you hear me? I will only be content when I have what I want. And God sees from a higher perch. God sees, even though we're going through the wilderness, even though we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, we should fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. He sees that there's light at the end of the tunnel. He sees that there's a promised land at the end of our pain. He sees that there is liberation at the end of our captivity, but we would rather have it our way. And so nostalgia and discontentment, it leads to this dissatisfaction and it causes us to live backwards. Or should I say, die backwards. Are you living in the past? Are you content to die in the past? Those self-destructive practices, they're familiar to you. They're common to you. Those people in your life who are weighing you down, I'd rather die back there with them because they're familiar than live for it. Can I help you with something? I know this is going to be a really difficult statement. Again, it's tight, but it's right. The good old days may not be as good as you remember. The good old days may not be as good as you remember. You know you're obsessed with the past if you would rather die backwards than live forwards. But keep going. What we see here is in verse 3. Skip down to the B clause of verse 3. Very interesting. Notice the change in, in, in the verbs here. They said, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Now, first, in verse 2, they said, why don't we die in Egypt? Why don't we die in the wilderness? Then in the B clause of verse 3, here's what they say. Wouldn't it be easier for us to go back? to Egypt. So now they're switching from dying to living. Now they're switching from dying to surviving. Here's the second way you know. Would you rather, if you want to know if you're obsessed with the past? If you're obsessed with the past, you would rather survive in fear than thrive in freedom. You would rather survive in fear than thrive in freedom. Notice here when they give the report, skip, skip back to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 verse 26. They're giving the report. And it says here, I'll read this passage. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them into the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So watch this. They're showing improvement here. They're showing how amazing the land is. And they showed it to the whole people. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. See, here's this place. Here's how it's overflowing with goodness and greatness. Here's how it's overflowing with milk and with honey. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Geb, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. They say, look at this. We have the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the termites, they're everywhere. And they're saying we have all these obstacles. So we would rather go back to Egypt. We know that's the devil we know, right? That's what we say. That's the devil we know. So we'd rather go back to Egypt and survive in fear than thrive in freedom. Can, can I help you? There's a difference between surviving and thriving. There is a difference between surviving and thriving. And I know for many of us, we have gotten into the mode of barely making it. We have gotten into the mode, settled into the rhythm of barely eking by, settled into the idea that this is all I deserve. Well, I guess because this happened to my family, 
Guess this is all I deserve. Guess because I've made some mistakes in my past. Guess this is all I deserve. Guess because of where I grew up. Guess because of how much money I have in the bank. Guess because of my lack of education. Guess because of my lack of resources and connectivity. I guess this is all I deserve. I just deserve to survive in fear. I just deserve to have my little and that'll be good, I guess. And what God is saying is, I have not designed you to survive. I have designed you to thrive and to flourish. Did you hear me? God has created you to thrive and to flourish. God has created you to have life, John 10, 10 says, more abundantly to the full, the Zoe life that is existing in Christ. But the problem is many of us would rather survive in fear because, catch this, some of us are afraid of freedom. Some of us are afraid of freedom. You know, this is so interesting. Jesus, whenever he gets ready to heal someone, many times in the New Testament, he asks them, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be set free? Do you want to have your legs to be able to walk again? And it's a metaphor. It's metaphorical. It's not that they don't want the physical ailment to be removed. It's that do you want your position of bondage because it's familiar so badly? Do you want your position where you're struggling and in captivity so badly because it's familiar, because you know it, because you can navigate it, because you've gotten used to the dysfunction? You see, that's why some of us are afraid of freedom. We are so familiar with our own dysfunction. And God is saying, I'm about to set you free to something is unfamiliar. I want you to thrive in freedom. But what many of us are saying is, God, I'd rather survive in fear. And freedom requires us to get unfamiliar. Freedom requires us to go into the unknown. Freedom requires us to take a step toward thriving. Can I say to some young person out there, you were not designed to just survive. You were not designed just to be dysfunctional. You were not designed just to fall back in those same patterns again and again and again. You were designed to rise up and thrive in freedom. It doesn't matter if you're 13. It doesn't matter if you're 30 years old. It doesn't matter if you're 60 years old. Wherever you are, wherever you are listening, to this, you were created to thrive. And you know you're obsessed with the past when you would rather survive in fear than thrive in freedom. Just two more and then I'll let you go. Uh, notice here, uh, another thing that we see here is you know you're obsessed with the past when you would rather retire in the past than live in the present. You would rather retire in the past than live in the present. You know, one of the things that's so interesting about what Corona has forced for us to do is Corona has forced for us to be present. Corona has forced for us to sit down and really take inventory of our lives. No longer can we act as though we have so many distractions and things that are keeping us so much work that we're not able, and many of us do have work, many of us do have responsibilities, but we also have this inability to be present. And you know, I was researching, what makes it really difficult for us to be present? What makes it really difficult and, and stringent for us to stay in the moment. And a doctor, a psychology doctor, he was writing about this concept and he said something that's very fascinating. He said, I'll quote him, he said, tomorrow is risky, frightening, and in some ways represents one step closer to the end. I love that. And he said the result of such preoccupation is helplessness, contempt, and fear. It, this is the reality. We're either obsessed with the past or we're preoccupied with the future. But what has God called us to do? He's called us to exist and be in the present. And many of us think that because of what's going on, what we're facing, what we're challenged with, that it's better for us to retire in the past. 
It's better for us to settle in the past. It's better for us to deal with what happened in the past rather than living in the present. You know, when I was talking about Michael Jordan, I thought about so many other athletes. I thought about boxers especially. I thought about combat sports athletes. And what's so interesting about them is many of them get to the place to where they cannot be present in their life post-career. Many of them get to the place where they've just competed at such a high level. They've worked as hard as they possibly can. They've done everything that they can possibly do. And then once they leave that life, once they leave that career, they sit back and they say, what am I supposed to do now? They're unable to be present in the moment. And here's what's so dangerous about that for us as believers. If we are unable to be present in the moment, we will miss where God is moving. If we are unable to be present in the moment, we will miss where God is moving. God is moving around us at all times. He's moving right now. Doesn't matter that we're locked down in quarantine. Doesn't matter that there's obstacles. Doesn't matter that we have fewer resources than we did before. God is still on the move. That's what C.S. Lewis said about Aslan in his great Chronicles of Narnia trilogy, right? He says, Aslan is always on the move. And Jesus is always moving around us. He's in everything that is happening. He's in everything that is going on. He's in everything that is taking place. And he's constantly moving. He's constantly working. But many of us would rather retire to what God has done in the past. It is time for us, especially the church of the living God, to stand up and say we will not retire in the past but rather we will move forward and live in the present so that as we live in the present, God will illuminate our future path. Don't retire in the past. Can I say this for some who are maybe from older generations, maybe those who are, who are a little bit older, boomer generations, builder generations, seasoned saints as I like to call them. I know that it seems like your time has passed you by, but can I encourage you with something? God has something for you to do right now. God has something and some place for you to live in the present. God is moving. God is animating the work of your hands. He's anointing from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. God is going to use you right now only if you will allow him. What many of us think is that we just need to retire. We just need to give up. Our best days are behind us. That is a lie. God has given you today. If you're still breathing, if you have the activity of your limbs, if you woke up in your right mind, as they used to say, God has something for you to do and God is not through with you yet. Obviously, we've seen here, these are some markers of what it means to be obsessed. But this fourth one, it really, really, really gets us. You know you're obsessed with the past, finally. If you would rather buy the words of people then believe the promises of God. You know you're obsessed with the past. You would rather buy the words of people than believe the promises of God. And notice here in verse three at the A clause of verse three, before they say, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Before they say, let's get a new captain and go back to Egypt. Notice what they say here in the A clause. They say, why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only to let us fall by the sword. Notice here they had questioned Moses and Aaron. They had questioned the positive reports of Joshua and Caleb. They had questioned whether or not they were supposed to be there, but then they let it slip out. It jumped out. The idolatry, the rebellion, it just leaped out of it. They said, why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Numbers 14, chapter 11, it, it tells us that the Lord takes this personally. He's really upset about it. He says to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the things I have performed among them? See this from God's perspective. He had heard the cry 
of the people in captivity. He had heard the cry and exodus of those who were bound and enslaved. And he decided that he was going to go down there and meet them. So he positions and tasks Moses at the burning bush. He says, go back and get my people. Tell them, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Release them. He had sent plague after plague to get Pharaoh's attention. And then when Pharaoh finally decided to let them go after that final fateful plague, Pharaoh rises up against them, decides to, to run after them and chase them so that he can kill them. And once he gets to the Red Sea, the Lord splits the Red Sea and then causes all their enemies to be sunk in the Red Sea. He takes them out and then he makes a covenant with them and then he feeds them. He, he, he shows up in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He, he gives them manna and, and quail to eat. He gives them all these things. He blesses them. He saves them. He, he protects them from the hand of their enemies. He liberates them. He's leading them into a promised land. And yet still, they question the character of God. Isn't it so dangerous that we can believe the words of other people more than the promises of God? Isn't it so dangerous that when life isn't working out the way that we think it should, we can take a step back and say, God, are you even good? God, are you even kind? God, are you even fair? God, do you even see me? Do you even care? And if we're honest in the quietness of this moment, many of us can attest to the fact that we have bought into the words of people. We bought into the words of people's opinions more than the promises of God. We bought into this concept and idea that what people say over us overrides a call of God that is within us. Don't miss that. We bought into the idea that the words that people have said over us override the call of God that's on the inside of us, and it does not. We bought into this concept and this idea that, oh, it's fine. We're just supposed to believe what people say. I guess, you know, God got it wrong. I guess God made a mistake. And here that we see there are heavy consequences. There are heavy difficulties. There are heavy penalties for us questioning the character of God. Notice here in verse 20, it says here, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, you know something bad's coming in. Verse 22, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one has treated me with contempt. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. This is the difficult reality. This is the tough, true uh, statement that we have to wrestle with. If you believe the opinions of people over the character of God, you are not worthy to partake in the promise. If you believe the opinions of people over the, the character of God, you are not worthy to partake in the promise. The truth of the matter is many of us have to repent for the fact that we have listened to what other people have said about what God has called us to do more than believing that God has a purpose and a plan in the midst of it. We have decided to doubt the fundamental character and goodness of God. We have decided to look up and say, I don't know, maybe God just made a mistake. Why did God bring me to this point? Is that you today? Why did God bring me to this point? Why did God not let this work out? Why did God take me from that place just to put me in this place right now? Why did God take my kids out? Why did God take us out of a situation just so that we'd be struggling right now in this moment? And what God is challenging for you to do is to trust and believe in him over what you see and over what you hear. Do you trust God? 
Do you trust him so much that you believe he's not done with you yet? Do you trust him so much that the promises that he's given to you are yes and amen? The promises that he's told you, he's not going to go back on his word. He's not a man that he should lie. Do you trust the opinions of people or the promises of God? So here we see, you know you're obsessed with the past in four ways. You know when you would rather die backwards than live forwards. You know when you would rather survive in fear than thrive in freedom. You know you're obsessed with the past when you would rather retire in the past than live in the present. And finally, when you would rather buy the words of people than believe the promises of God. I want to challenge you to do something this week. I want to challenge you to have a funeral. Not for a person, not for anything in particular, but I want to challenge you to have a funeral for the places in your past that you need to let go. The places in your past where you are bound. The places in your past that seem so appealing and attractive to you, but they're really dysfunctional. They're holding you back. They're keeping you captive. They're tying you down. They're causing you to obsess with the past. Don't go back there. There's nothing for you back there. You're not going to receive what you think you're going to receive. There's only a stiffer penalty. You know, the amazing thing about Jesus is he offers us a new family. He offers us a new family, a new reality, a new life. He offers us a countercultural way of living. And he says to, to us, he says, come unto me. Why? Because I'm going to give you rest and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you in a way that will blow your mind. But here's the thing. You have to believe me and you have to sacrifice what has happened in the past. You have to have a funeral for the things of your past and you have to walk into the new I want to challenge you to grab some pen and paper. You don't have to do it now, but sometime over the course of the next seven days, I want to challenge you to grab a pen and a paper. I want, to, I want you to write down some of the things that you already know. Here's the interesting thing about us. We already know what we need to let go of. We already know the things that aren't working. We already know the patterns of dysfunction. We already know the relationships that are no good for us. We already know as soon as I mentioned not going back there, you started thinking of it. I know it's the truth. But I want to challenge you to write some things down. And then I'm right now, I'm going to pray a funeral prayer of good riddance for those things. I'm going to pray that God would shut the doors that need to be shut, would close the casket on some things that no longer need to be present in our lives. Don't go back there. There's nothing for you there. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that even now, as we sung earlier, that you are the everlasting God. Even, that, even as we sung that you are powerful and mighty, even as we sung that you have all capability, even as we sung that we set our hope on you. God, I pray that we'd set our hope on you so much that we're confident that the things that have passed us by, the things that we have done in the past, the, the places we have been in the past, the relationships that we've had in the past, I pray that we not become obsessed with those things. I pray that we'd reference them but not reside in them. God, I pray that we would not look at the past with the sense of nostalgia and discontentment saying it must have been better then. I pray that you would remind us that the good old days were not as good as we remember. For many of us, they were more difficult. For many of us, it's not that they were, were evil, but we need to move past them. And God, I pray right now that you would give us strength and boldness to put some things down. I pray, God, that you would give us strength and boldness to say goodbye to have a funeral for all the relationships, all the patterns, all the, the languages, everything that we've said, everything that we've uttered, everything that we believed that is in the past, everything that we believe that you want us to leave behind, the things that are captive. God, I pray you give someone strength right now to make a phone call and say it's over. 
God, I pray that you would give someone strength right now to, to, to make a phone call, to write down what needs to be changed. I pray that you give someone strength right now to establish some distance between them and some painful habits. I pray that you give people some strength to have some phone calls and to send some text messages that say, I I'm addicted to something and I need to get free. I need your help to help me get out of this pattern. I've been addicted to it for so long because it's familiar, but I want to walk in the light. I want to thrive. I don't just want to survive in fear. I want to thrive in freedom. God, I pray that you give us courage to burn some things. I pray that you give us courage to throw some things in the trash. After we've written them down and say, I'm packaging it up, I'm throwing it away, I'm no longer going back to the past. And God, I pray that you would bless us with a great blessing, even as you bless Caleb and Joshua, that we would be able to see the promise in our lifetime even in such a time as this. God, I thank you that you have better for us, that what is behind us is not greater than what is ahead of us. As a matter of fact, there is yet more you are doing even right now. You're always on the move. I pray we believe it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. I love you so much. Look forward to seeing you next week. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler. Once again, thank you for being a virtual guest at the NDCC Online Worship Experience. It was our joy to host you. We know that many of you may have been impacted by the service, and if you have and you want to take that next spiritual step, you can type home in the comments wherever you're watching, or you can text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. We are so excited to walk with you in your journey towards being more like Christ. doesn't matter how large or small your decision is. We would love to rejoice and celebrate with you. Just put home in the comments and we'll reach out to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two very simple ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings and give right now from the comfort of your own home. Or you can mail it in to PO Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida 32503. Thank you again so much for joining us here at New Dimensions. I look forward to seeing you next week. We're going to finish out the Back to the Future series. I know I'm so sad. I have so much more to say, but we're going to do our final sermon from the Back to the Future series. And I hope you and your family continue to remain safe. Even though we cannot meet together physically, God is still present in your life. Remember, don't go back there. Don't go and live and obsess in the past but it's time to live in the present and plan for the future. I love you so much. Thank you for coming here to New Dimensions Christian Center, where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. Be blessed.